0: Keys to several things in this building and he knows where things are hidden i mean you name it bug repel it you i'm not going to go into all the things that he knows where they are and what to do with him it could be him it could be abigail higgins who's probably in children's ministry because she's just so cute and abigail's so cute i mean it's powerful to be that cute and she just gets hurt. it could be this morning gloria joe who makes incredible cakes how many have ever eaten one of gloria joe's cakes Oh, my mercy. Awesome. I want to make you want to slap your mama. Um, it could be Sound Man, Mr. Sound Man, Mr. Keith Red this morning because truly he might be the most powerful in the natural because he can control the sound in this room. Turn to your neighbor and say, but it could be you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it could be you. It could be you. In Acts the 25th, this morning I would like to come behind the sermon I preached about three weeks ago on Press to Take Hold. And I read to you a scripture out of Philippians 3 and 12. Take hold of that which Christ took hold of you for. Meaning that when Christ saved you, when he claimed you, he took hold of, he took hold of me for things. Like going and teaching on Tuesday at Hope House in this season. Um, when he took hold of you, he took hold of you for a purpose. Today, the most powerful person in the room is the person that is obedient to the heavenly vision. Someone say the heavenly vision. I'll read for Max in a moment, but what were the five most exciting moments of your life, if you think about it? What were the most five most breathtaking, exhilarating, emotion-producing 300 seconds that you've ever experienced? There's a good chance, if you're able to really remember them, that the most exciting five minutes of your life would have been the first five minutes of your life after nine months of darkness and isolation you discovered through a traumatic experience when your mama's body said get that baby out you know that you didn't want to come out come on somebody but you said oh there was a world of taste and sensations and color and awesome things in that room and you entered a realm beyond someone say beyond your wildest imagination guess what today God has the next days are the best days of your life. The next days are beyond your wildest imagination. The next five minutes that you might consider the best five minutes are still those to come. But some of the greatest five minutes that you will ever live will be the first five minutes after you die. Hold on a minute. The brightest minds on earth have devoted whole lifetimes to try to penetrate that veil and learn maria how many are just thrilled to have maria here come on my girls my girl right here Uh, love love all the hope house girls she's a graduate she taught children's ministry for us she ran queen for a day children's ministries we have to come back there's big works going towards something next year big 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 works um But at any rate, it's an indescribable joy, those first five minutes, or the scripture says it is unspeakable loss. Someone say unspeakable loss, meaning where we end up. If we stay obedient to the heavenly vision, this is not a salvation message. You'll get it in a moment, but I'm kind of giving a little advertisement for our new series that begins a week from this Wednesday night. So excited. We'll tell you called Destined for our I'm going to get it wrong. But anyway, it's about eternity. I'll get that wrong. Um, But the idea of going to heaven for some of us is like when, if you grew up in the um, denomination that I did... If you were in fifth or sixth grade and your choir director at church was trying to get you to sing and the boys were picking their nose and throwing their hair up, you know, and girls were playing with their skirts, you know, your your choir director would say, Hey, kids, and I will pray in a minute. Hey, kids, sing, 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 because when we get to heaven, all we're going to do is sing, sing, sing. Well, I don't know about you, but in fifth grade, the idea of singing for 10 billion years was just a little bit boring. Can I get an Amen. And sometimes that's what we envision it but when we live for eternity when we're driven that's the name of her series by eternity it changes our life the way we live Um, when I really began to study eternity years ago, it changed every decision, every way I live. Mark Buchanan writes that uh, he was at a funeral sometime recently, and someone said that heaven is going to be like a worship service, and this message is not on heaven. I'm just getting you into where we're going. That it's going to be like a worship service that never ends. And he said, I sat there thinking, oh my God, can I handle that? Anybody else with me? I mean, I love to worship. We could worship all day in here until I just got tired or hungry, and then we'd need to go eat and come back. Come on, somebody. But still, the thought as Beth Moore portrayed playing a harp for 10 billion years is just beyond me this is what Mark Buchanan writes after someone said that to him at a funeral I assume you're like me I can get itchy skinned and scratchy throat after an hour or so of church. I can get distracted and cranky when it goes too long. My feet ache, my backside numbs, my eyes glaze. Come on, somebody. My mind fogs, my belly growls. I find myself fighting back yawns and then not fighting them back, letting them gape and roar a signal to my oppressor, let my people go. And he says, and I'm the pastor. Come on, somebody. Give that pastor a hand. And he's the pastor. Come on, give that pastor a hand. So the most powerful person in the room, reading from Acts 26. Before we get there, Acts 25 and 23. This is about the Apostle Paul. So the next day when King Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, someone say great pomp, and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. Now imagine one of those old Roman movies and just all the ornate detail. All the festive um, decorations, the hall of audience, all of the things in there. Imagine all of that. Said when they all came in, then Paul was brought in before the governor of Festus. Now imagine Paul, who is the most powerful person in the room of this. And you'll understand how you and I can be that as well. He comes in in chains. He's in prison for the gospel. He comes in and stands possibly maybe in his sackcloth bent posture before beautiful King Agrippa and his beautiful sister Bernice and the governor Festus. And Paul stands there and gives an account of his testimony of his belief that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And this is his Main verse I'd like to bring and pray with you about this morning. Therefore, King Agrippa, after he gives his testimony, how he was saved, how Christ got him on the road to Damascus, how he turned his life around from being a killer to being a healer. Come on. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can be the most powerful person if you're not disobedient. the heavenly vision heavenly vision for your life father in the name of jesus we know you're here holy spirit i pray you'd help me to just put aside what doesn't need to be said bring to the table what does help each one of us to rope in our thoughts lord and to focus on what the word would say thank you sir in jesus name everyone said amen how are you going to be obedient to the heavenly vision that god has on your life Well, the next time you go out to eat with people or you're at work or you're at a grocery store and someone says to you, what do you do? And they say they're a banker and the person next to them is a lawyer and the person next to them is something else. You just say, oh, what do I do? I am personally responsible for bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ after his first coming before his second coming and then see what they're going to say. Number one, you got to put purpose. Everyone say put purpose in every step. I'm going to continue along kind of a pastoral mode this morning. Put purpose. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 26, I run straight to the goal. Everyone say, I run with purpose in every step. Hebrews 12 says to run the race. Now that means to run your race. Say, run my race. Does that mean to run my race? You have to run your race. You have to stay in your lane. What has God called you to do? How is he called you to do that? Our second second set of mini-series on Wednesday night is going to be discovering your gifts and how to use them, how to develop the fruits. But you've got to stay in your lane to what God has called you. What he's called me to do is not what he's called Pastor Todd to do. They're different. I remember we were in New York City about nine years ago. We took Courtney for the end of her high school and one of her friends. And uh, we were staying at the Doubletree at, at Times Square, New York City. And we were going to see mama mia that night mama mia and we were going to see mama mia that night and i was in the workout room as usual a little bit too hardcore about fitness and i had been running for about 40 minutes and then the fire alarms went off in double tree which is massive hotel as most are and so um they said you can't use the elevator well as usual, I was running late. As usual, I had to get my hair ready. Come on, girlfriends. I had to get ready. And here we are. I cannot get to the room. I mean, we have bought these tickets. We've invested a good amount of time thinking about this. And so I see some girls running toward the exit. So I decide to run behind them because they look like they knew what they were doing. And as they ran, as they began to run up about 20 flights of stairs, I realized as I began to look at what they had on and I was going to keep up with them less hell split open come on somebody that they were a high school basketball team or college and those girls were leaping up the stairs four steps at a time but I thought you know I was not 53 whatever it was minus eight years I thought I will not be undone I am in shape so I stayed with them I remember they kept looking back like who is the crazy woman running behind us but I thought these girls know then they ran through some kind of service area they ran down a hallway i mean it was just I thought these girls know what they're doing and guess what they did know what they were doing but I was trying to keep up speed with them I was trying to run their race someone say their race but hey when I got to the door and I knocked and and Courtney or pastor looked out the window I was like can you let me in And when I went in I just pulled my hair up and went to mama Mia and made it on time someone just give me a hand clap appreciation I did that But I often think about that when I try to run someone else's race. If I try to run Jackie Castleberry's race, it's going to undo me. It's it's not going to be good for me because it was a race. She has a grace for her race. I have a grace for my race that you don't have for my race. That's why sometimes people look at you and what you're going through and think how you do that because God's given you grace. God's given Jackie a grace, since I just picked on her, to raise two babies um, at a very young age. Most of us don't think we have that grace, but let me show you something. That first screen says that God, that first media, God has plucked you out of eternity and positioned you in time and given you gifts and talents to serve in this generation. Someone say, in this generation. If you are to be obedient to the heavenly vision that God has for you, In your life, in this world, if you're to lay hold of what he saved you for, then you've got to know that God has plucked you out of eternity. God could have sent you to this earth at any time he wanted to, but he sent you now to serve in this generation. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 is one of my favorites. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Someone say, earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God. Someone say, of God. And not us. I mean, when you think about it, it's so powerful that God knows how to hide stuff. Um, God is masterful about hiding stuff. We love to preach about God revealing things and exposing. Oh, God's going to expose everything. But you know what? Sometimes God hides stuff. For some of you single men, God has hidden your wife until it's time. Can I get an amen? For some of you single women, God has hidden your spouse until it's time. Can I get an amen from some single women? You see, God, as Bishop Jakes recently said, can hide things better than your mother. Did you ever go on a Christmas hunt? Did you ever get down and try to hide the things? Oh, my sister, she was a terrorist when it came to this. She was the firstborn, and she's still so brazen. I'll still tell her, you're going to have to talk to mom and daddy about that, because I am not doing that. I'm the middle mediator. I'm the happy child. You're the mean child. This is a joke we have going on, on, because she's not mean, but she could just get in there and bulldog it. But she would hide things. And there was the year that mama gave us the batons. Didn't every girl want a baton when you were little? And mama forgot that those things were hard to be hid. But you see, God hides stuff better than your mom. Bishop Jakes recently said that if if Saddam Hussein's mother had hidden him, they'd have never found him. Because, you know what? Mamas know how to hide stuff. But I want to tell you something. God hid his greatest wisdom and knowledge. Not in a king or a potentate, but in you today. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, it says, God put the mystery, the greatness of who he is inside of you. Say, inside of me. You've got to realize that in running your race to be obedient to God's vision for your life. You've got to know he hid it in you. In the book of Exodus, I've preached so many times about Moses and that walk Jehoshaphat made to the shore. Unselfish walk. Because she knew Moses' destiny was pre- preordained for something else. But that baby, when it came that time and Pharaoh was wanting to kill the children of Israel, and he told these two midwives, listen to this. He said, when those babies are born to those Jewish, if it's a son, kill it immediately. Then the two midwives kind of lied. Someone say kind of lied. They told Pharaoh, these Israeli women are so strong, and they are. (laughs) They're so strong that their babies just pop out. Anybody ever seen a baby pop out? Now, Christine came flying out, but, uh, you know, not too many babies just pop out, but occasionally. But you see, he was smart and he was an emperor, but God knew how to hide something great, even from the strong. Let me tell you something. When that baby grew to be two years old, or first of all, when he got to three months, everyone say three months, three months, it said his mother had hid him until she could hide him no longer. How do you hide a three-month-old in a house? And don't even think about your house. This is a slave house. And don't even think about the American slave house, which is a wonderful um, uh place. a a display at the Smithsonian. Oh my goodness, you just want to stay there all day and read about the horrible plot of the slaves in America. Don't even think, this is thousands of years ago in a little slave Hebrew house. You see, God is so powerful that God hides certain gifts and talents in you until the moment that God brings those talents out into the world. Can somebody give him a hand clap of praise for that? That he's hidden that in you. They searched those tents, they could not find him. When it came three months, you know, she put him in an ark and put him out onto the Red Sea. God is a master at hiding things. You see, he's so awesome at hiding things that he took that baby. And that baby that the Pharaoh was looking to kill grew up in the next room. Let me tell you something. No boss, no earthly judge. Come on, somebody. No lawyer, no banker can stop God's destiny for you. If God wants someone like Pharaoh to finance what God wants to do in your life, God is big enough to allow that to happen. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Pharaoh is looking to kill the deliverer and the is living in the next room. And the Pharaoh's daughter is financing the raising of the next deliverer. Don't Ever Rhonda Davis, don't ever, Todd Haggard, don't ever, Angel McArdord. Every name in here, ever should we look to God's face and say, You can't. You can't finance my dream. You can't take care of what you've even. All God asks you is, What do you have? We're too busy telling God what we don't have. I do that. Does anybody else? I mean, we give him a list. Come on, somebody, bigger than what you'd give your mama. Christine's Christmas list one time really could have started from that door to go out there. I said, you are sucking the fun out of this child. But the list was so long. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. The list of what God has put inside of you, the list of what God can bring to the earth, it is not beyond his ability. God is masterful at hiding things. So he put his treasure inside of you. He put his wisdom inside of you. If you are to understand and walk out God's heavenly vision for your life, you've got to admit and face today, God, I know inside of me you have put a th- something that I cannot comprehend. Maybe I've seen a glimpse of it. Maybe I've tasted a little bit of it. But if I'm going to be obedient to the heavenly vision, I've got to know that you are masterful at hiding things. You see, when Jesus... Came to earth, he was not born in a palace, but he hid himself in the manger. He clothed him own self, if I can say that like my southern friends. He clothed him own self in flesh, and he was born of a virgin. They looked for him in a medical facility, but he was not to be found in a medical facility because God hid his own self wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He was raised in a carpenter's house, not in a king's house. Because God knows that the greatest treasures are the treasures that you hide and that you bring out in the right moment. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise in this house. And let me say for point number two, we're going fast. Listen, your BFF may not see it. As much as my dearest friends loved me, it was years before they knew the treasure inside of me. I didn't know. All I kept hearing God was saying, just trust me. And right now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Someone I greatly trust meant to share this with Susan. I haven't even shared it with Pastor. I'm not going to share it this morning. But a dream they had, I was like, whoa. When I read it because of the arena they were dreaming, it's someone I highly trust. I don't know if that's going to happen uh, because it was a secular arena. I don't know if that's going to happen. But the interesting thing she said was that God was using you. It's like it's it's interesting. Goes right along. This said God was using you in a way that was so discreet. It's like it was subtle. But the message of God, you know what? People may not see your husband, your wife, your boss, your ex-wife, your ex-husband. Can I get an amen from anybody? Some judge, some lawyer, some banker may not see, but God has plucked you out of eternity into this time. He said, not many were noble when I called them. Not, were, not many were mighty, but I chose to despise things. You see, we look weak to the enemy. We look weak to most of the people around us, but God says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, if I may say it again to you, brothers and sisters, I have hidden my treasure inside of you. Everyone say, run the race. Run the race. Discover the treasure. Run the race. Don't try to run my race. I don't need to try to run your race if I get in your lane. And that's what the, the some um, a friend of our Michele's brother-in-law recently said at a Hillsong conference, Mira Mira on the wall about Facebook and Instagram. Tell us who is the fairest of them all. And we look at each other and we compare our lives through some image. But I'm going to tell you the third point today is to serve in every season of your life. Bring that first servant picture up if you will if you're too big to serve you are too small to lead come on somebody give yourself a hand for that right now if you're too big to serve you're too small to lead I'm going to tell you something this morning I'll tell you my daddy and you'll know where I'm going with this in a moment my daddy um was internationally over hundreds of ministers all over the world he many positions but I'll drop right here to this one part of his life He was an international youth church, which means over the whole world. He traveled to so many nations. Hang with me because I'm going somewhere because you're going to have to serve in every season of your life. He's authored books. He's mentioned in some of these things I always forget to say. Crossing the Switchblade, he's in the middle of that book because he was on the New York City streets with David Wilkerson and talked a man named Butch, an original member of the Hells Angels, into going back home. It's an amazing story. I always want my dad to come tell it. He doesn't tell it much unless someone pushed him. He, he's traveled and ministered in nations where thousands were in conferences, where he was the one in charge. Thousands of youth directors all over the world. When he'd preach in that suit, and as a little girl, and he was done, I would, was able to accompany him to some of these large conferences. I couldn't wait. I was about Bailey's age to get up and grab his hand. And if anyone told me I looked like my mom, I'd be mad. I said, no, 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 I look like my daddy, because he was standing there looking so strong in that good-looking suit. He served so beautifully in that season. But this morning, my daddy got up over there on Vista Drive and he got my sweet mama up who has Alzheimer's and he took her in the kitchen. I know because I spend time over there. He mashed up egg whites and he put it in carnation instant milk because she's starting to not eat much on her plate. He wants to make sure she gets her protein. And uh, then he would take her and, and, and encourage her strongly to take a bath. And then he would do his eyebrows. He went down to the MAC artist in Chattanooga and asked that they would teach him at 82 how to draw eyebrows on my mom. And he's so good. And he's so proud. When I go over there, he'll take that. And I can just tell he's so proud of himself. And he'll draw that in. Then he'll do her makeup. And then he will convince her to get her clothes on. And she will not speak in any. She'll laugh. She laughs. Christine I did her makeup last week for a country club event. And she laughs so hard. But her words make no sense. They're just gibberish. Today, in my mind, Daddy is serving in this season of his life in a powerful and awesome way. You see, it does indeed matter how we live. We are living for eternity. And there's areas of our life we don't maybe want to serve or think it's serving. I was cleaning up the kitchen for my daddy after he did a big dinner for his sister's 90th birthday. And he went home to take, take his sister home. And I was in the kitchen trying to fast do his dishes uh, because he's a Gauls, so they think they have to do it all themselves. It comes natural, and I was washing as fast as I could because he'd cooked a feast. And I heard my mama sitting in the couch, TV was on, but she wasn't paying mind. She didn't know I was in the room, of course. And I heard her go into that sense. The only sense she ever makes is when she did this. I love you, Lord Jesus. I worship you, Jesus, and I want to thank you for everything you have ever done for me, Jesus. You're so powerful. You're so beautiful, Savior. And then out of that common sense, she came. I think recently my daddy had a dream. And in the dream, he saw him go into a room with lots of trophies. He was, my daddy and I have both have a little bit of a gift of dreams. He has it stronger because he's older. He's had some amazing dreams about me. Won't go into but in this dream, that Dad, daddy said, baby, call me. I had a dream last night. I said, well, tell me, daddy. He said, I walked into this room and there was trophies everywhere. They're all different sizes, And I could hear clamor and I could hear people getting ready. And uh, there was a chatter of people sitting in the room. And he said, it was just beautiful beyond anything I've ever seen in the earth. He said, and then I just woke up. He said, I don't know who they were honoring. And I said, daddy, daddy, hold on a minute. You forgot the first rule of dream interpretation. Most dreams are about you. I said, Daddy, that was about you. That was your heavenly reward in heaven. God was encouraging. You were seeing yourself come into those moments. I'm going to tell you, the encouragement to all of us is that we are never going to receive as servants the greatest pay for what we have done on this earth. Can I get an amen? We are never going to receive it. And Isaiah 49 and 4, if we're going to serve, everyone say serve in every season. Come on, say in every season. The season that my my dear beloved um, adopted mom, Patty Evans, served the way she served 20 years ago, she's not serving today. She's serving in the season where she lives. In Isaiah, the man of God said to God, God said to the man of God, you are my servant, he says to Isaiah. Isn't that good news? Come on, someone. So God says to everyone, you are my servant. But listen to this. But I replied to God and I said, my work all seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust you, God, for my reward. It's so powerful that we are to trust God for our reward. If you bring up that next picture, we are to trust God for our reward. This woman right here is Daniel sales mother. Daniel's not with us this morning. We were supposed to send him off, so don't know what happened. But Daniel is moving. Everyone say, bah humbug. He's starting pilot school in Macon. I'm excited for that, but sad for us. His mother first came here about, um, we think about maybe 20 years ago, 18 years ago. She was a mother of two single little boys and she immediately began to press Pastor Hank. You've got no men here to raise these little boys that don't have a daddy. And, I mean, she didn't take no too quickly for an answer. She began to push, and Pastor Hank organized some men. Matt Decker was one of those, eventually Pastor Todd, that began to take these young men and teach them how to fish, how to skeet shoot, and do all that. Rebecca went on to do tape ministry for years. She went on to clean the church. She made, someone say she made. She made her baby boys. Get in the car with her and drive an hour. Come on, someone. And I said at the OCI funeral that if we had had a tape, of the conversations between those two little boys and their mama, I bet there was a lot. You better be quiet because you know boys are going to complain. Come on, somebody. But this is what Psalms 31 says. Beauty is fleeting, charm is deceitful, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Let her works, someone say, my works, praise me in the gates. The incredible thing about being a servant, if you would bring up that next media presentation. This is what scripture says in Mark 10 and 45. And just hang with me. In this world, there are kings and tyrants, officials who lord over you, people who treat you as one beneath them. But among you, this should not be. Whoever wants to lead should be the servant. For even I, the son of man came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many There's a powerful book that that, that if you can't read it, it says the true test of a servant is when you're treated like one. Come on, somebody. Oh, I want to serve you, Jesus. And then Pastor Todd treats you like a servant. I want to serve you, Jesus. Then, Pastor Ronald treats treat you like a servant. What do you mean like a servant? You ask you to do something. Are your children treat you like a servant? Can I get an amen from any mama in the house? Oh, Lord, I want to serve my family. You know, Lord, I want to serve my family. And then you forget that Philippians 2 and 14 says, in everything you do, do it without complaining and arguing. Come on, somebody. You ever want to take the Bible and cut certain scriptures out? Richard Stearns wrote a powerful book called There's a Hole in Your Gospel. That means we take certain scriptures and we want to cut them out and say, I don't have to live that. But Colossians 3 and 23 says, you are to live different than the dark world. Someone say different. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Because remember that the Lord, someone say the Lord will give you. Say the Lord will give you an inheritance. It's in those times that we are serving, whether in our family, whether at work, and we feel like the boss is being overdominating, or our mama, or our husband, or our wife, or our sister, or our co-worker. Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He says, you're not really working for them. You're not really. I, I've told the Hope House women, through the four years, you're not really doing any of this for Pastor David and Connie. They're your authority. They are the founders of this house. They are who you answer to, your local authority. But what you do, you do for the Lord. What you do, you do for the Lord. When you're at work and they're putting double pressure on you, you just have to tell yourself when I'm scrubbing and clean up because I've learned something. Other people's mess look different than my mess looks to me. Anybody? Oh, honey, if you're cleaning somewhere... All you'll see is, every, in my house, I'd go in my daughter's rooms, you know, years ago when they were very young, and I would see things a mess, and I'd think, oh, my Lord. And then I'd walk into my bedroom, and my bedroom looked as bad as their bedroom, but I didn't feel that way about my bedroom. Can I get an amen? amen. Because other people's mess often looks different to us. This is what Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, if you'll bring that up. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind... People may accuse you of ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you, but you be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous, but you be happy anyway. The good you do today may be and usually will. I would like to add, Mother Teresa, be forgotten tomorrow, but do good. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Can I get an amen? But give your best anyway. For you see, this is the killer point. In the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Everything we do for the Lord is between you and the Lord. It is not be between us and people. I often tell people, love people, but do not do good for people's sake. Do good for God's sake. Help people for God's sake. Don't look around and say, we're all the people I've helped. Oh, my Lord, as a pastor. Oh, my Lord, could I write a book on that? But God continually grounds me in my woe, pity moments and says, what you did. If you walk that daughter out of homosexuality and she's walking in freedom today, doing the kingdom exploits, it doesn't matter if she ever remembers your name. What is important is that heaven remembers your name. What is important is that someday when you stand before God, you'll know you've been obedient to the heavenly vision. You served. If we think servants, then we must adhere to the word in Colossians 3 11. Hold on. You're going to want to cut this out of your Bible too. Christ is all that matters. He chose you. So clothe yourself. Here you go. You're going to want to cut it out. Tender-hearted mercy. Someone say, ouch. Clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility and gentleness and patience. And then make allowances. Make room for each other's faults. It's so easy for me to make room for my faults. Are you the same way? I mean, unless you go into self-hatred, which is another message. But it's so easy. Oh, Rhonda, you're okay, baby. You got it, girl. You know, come on. But sometimes it is not so easy to make allowances for your faults. Because if you're late all the time and I'm early, I can't even understand that. Personally, I don't like to show up early. I did that one time and it did not go well for me. I think getting there right at the time is just better. That's what my sister always says. Rhonda, we don't need to show up early. It just doesn't work out good. Just show up right at time. But here's the thing, because you see things different than I do. I say potato, you say, I say tomato, you say, and I can't remember the rest of the song. But anyway, but that's the way it goes, because I see through the filter of what I like, Jackie. I see through the filter of what gets on my nerves, and what gets on my nerves may not get on your nerves. You ever taken a trip with someone you never took a trip with before? And you found out that the way they chewed their gum made you want to slap them into tomorrow. Come on, somebody. You found out. I mean, you know, Pastor and I, he'll tell you, we've had wars over him driving with two feet. I say, you're not driving with two feet, are you? And what if I am? I mean, we have had wars over it because I hate it because to me it's like this. But the scripture says, if we're to be obedient, the most powerful person in the room is what you just saw. A very wrinkled woman who served her life in Calcutta, who lived among the lepers. People said, how can you touch them? She said, how can I not touch them? I've known Jesus. I've seen him. He touched me. You see, that kind of love and kindness, that love, that love, if you bring that next media thing up, he who loved us at our darkest hour. Guess what? The scripture says that Jesus loved you at your darkest hour. Keep that up if you will, brothers. Listen to what the message says. And in a moment I'll have Josh come and we'll turn the corner toward home. Listen to what the message says in Romans 5. When we throw open our doors to God, we discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. How powerful. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we would stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. He loved us at our darkest hour. When we were no use to him, he put his love on the line for us, and he does it again and again and again and every day for those that seek refuge in the shadow of his great and glorious wings. Can you give him a hand clap of praise for that? He loved us. Josh, if you'll make your way up. He loved us. I'm not done, so just keep listening. He loved us. Louis Giglio recently said, Every wrong that we have done and every wrong that has been done to us has been swallowed up in every right that Jesus has done and all the wrong that Jesus had done to him. The New Living Translation says that, Romans 5. Maria, it says... Christ came at just the right time and died for you and me. No one is likely to die for a good person, though rarely would anyone be willing to die for someone who's not especially good. But God showed his love and made us friends with Christ. So this morning, as we get ready to come to the end, love others at the darkest hour. What can love do? Before I come to an open vision of Jesus, what can love do? You see, you can have signs and wonders and miracles. I could raise the dead this morning, and oh, that would tantalize most of you. And unless you were grounded, you would try to give me glory instead of Christ. We could do miracles. We could part seas. We could do all of that. But people who are truly showing their connection with God are people that love others in their darkest hour. Who say, you know what, Josh Casper, I am not going to tally all your faults. In fact, if I can be a pastor here for a moment, I'm not going to tally the faults of anyone. And, and when a fault comes to me of my spouse or my child or someone I work with, I'm going to remind myself of my own faults. I do that, and I say, Jesus, thank you. Oh, Lord, thank you that you have healed me of my faults. Thank you, Jesus. And, Lord, I, if I'm going to tally anyone's faults, it's going to be mine, but I'm not even going to tally my faults, but I'm going to remember it is by grace. Someone say Grace. That I have been saved. And that that love that's in me, that loved me at my darkest hour. There's an old hymn that's so beautiful, Wendy. It says, love sent my Savior to die in my stead. Why should he love me so? Meekly to Calvary's cross he was led. Why should he love me so? It goes on. It's one of the most beautiful hymns. It just keeps saying, why should he? I don't know why he should love you so. I don't know why he should love me so. It's beyond our comprehension. But if we're going to be obedient to the heavenly vision, when that opened up with Paul, he opened up in a room of thousands of people with kings and queens and governors in their royal robes. But the most powerful person in the room was Paul who penned the words by the unction of the Holy Spirit. If I have the voice of angels and sing like Celine Dion and have not love, I am nothing. If I have the talent and the basketball skills, I'm paraphrasing as you notice, of Kobe Bryant, if I can be the greatest quarterback, but I have not love, I am nothing at all. If I have the intellectual skill and I'm smarter at making money and thinking things through than Bill Gates, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I can build a palace in the earth with my own hands, construct it, some mansion that would be beyond comprehension, and people would gaze at it for days, but I can't love someone that I see. I am nothing. If I speak in tongues, and I give out interpretations, and the Holy Spirit uses me in incomprehensible ways to speak words of knowledge, but at the end of the day, if I can't love the person I just gave the word to, I am nothing. Paul was the most powerful person because he was obedient to run his own race. He was obedient to stay in his own lane, to discover the treasure was in him. So when he's before kings and queens, when circumstances in your life, you must remember the vision of heaven for you is that you would simply be an ambassador for Christ. That you would bring to this earth what he's put inside of you for his glory and by doing it, people would be encouraged. In the workplace, people would be ministered to by watching you walk through what they walk through, but you walk through it a little differently with the peace of God that goes way past understanding. You see, Paul was the most powerful with Bernice in her royal robes and King Agrippa decked out and Governor Festus and ornate things on the wall. But Paul comes out in chains and going, growing older, but he stands boldly and says... Jesus is the son of God and when he saved me he laid hold of me so I could lay hold of something for him and he's ordained me to stand here today and one of the most amazing statements of the scripture he spoke so eloquently that the governor said you have almost persuaded me you see obedient to the heavenly vision someone say obedient to the heavenly vision I'm going to go to the book of Revelation to end these moments together. And in the book of Revelation that we've just studied, there's an incredible vision of Jesus, a vision of heaven. We began with open vision, living the vision that God has given you, the heavenly vision, not the vision your mama has for you. Listen, not the vision that your best friend has for you. But what is God's vision for your life? To do good as much as you can, to love, to serve Your heathen mama's vision might be that you push everyone down as you stamp up above them. But John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, has a vision. Listen to me. Stay with me. We're almost done. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the Isle that is called Patmos for the Word of God, and I was there for the testimony of God. Listen, where you are right now that you think is a hard place... You very well might be there because of your testimony for the Lord Jesus. It matters indeed how we live. He said, I was there and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me the voice that sounded like a trumpet. And he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it in the book and send it to the churches. Then I turned to see the voice. I want everyone to say, I turned to see the voice. If you be obedient to that heavenly vision, when God moves through a song, when God speaks to you through an utterance or just those little things like putting on makeup yesterday and getting that word about brain, turn, stop, listen, stop and listen. Take a moment and turn toward God and away from the TV. Turn toward God and away from entertainment for all of us. He turned to see the voice, and then I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, John doesn't know it's him yet. You'll explain, I'll explain that in a moment. He was clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girt about his chest was a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool and snow, and his eyes, everyone say his eyes, someone say his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass and refined in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a double short, sharp two-edged sword. And when I saw him, I worshipped him. When I saw him, I leaped and shouted. When I saw him, I spoke in tongues. No, one does it say? When I saw him, I what? I fell as dead. Someone say, I fell as dead. John gets a vision of Christ, brothers and sisters, but he doesn't know yet. In these closing moments, that it's Christ. He sees that Son of Man holding the seven stars in His hand, which was the church, saying, I've got all the churches in my hand. He sees His eyes like flame of fire. How many eyes did your mama have? My mama had eyes in the back of her head, eyes in her toes, eyes in her ankles. Come on, someone. But Jesus had flaming eyes, meaning He misses nothing. I want you to say that. He misses nothing. Listen, we often focus on all the bad in our life. That Jesus saw. If it's done. It's under the blood. It's behind us. And he does see everything. It matters how we live. We can't cut things out of scripture. Of giving to the poor. And and being a servant. But it also says. He misses nothing. means he misses not one kind act that you do. He misses not one time when you bit your tongue. When you wanted to cuss your neighbor out. Come on somebody. He does not miss when you don't flip off the driver behind you. Come on somebody. He does not miss but listen, he says there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Does that mean when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be obedient to this heavenly vision, we get there, Jesus is going to have a big sword out of his mouth? No, it was a way of saying to John, Jesus has unstoppable authority. I want everyone to say, unstoppable authority. Why this is important, John, listen, gives him the title of the great king of the earth. In that day, there wasn't presence and potentates. There was just kings. So the verbiage of the vernacular was to speak the king of kings. But listen, in our day, we experience separate fears or spears of power, political, economical, cultural, and so on. But to put it in our terms, listen to this. This is what Jesus was saying about himself to John and saying about every one of you. He's encouraged you to be be obedient to the heavenly vision. Be the most powerful person in the room. Serve, run your race. Listen, listen of this way. Think of all the holders of power in every sphere of our life. Think of the movers, the shakers, the opinion makers. Think Jesus is ruler over all of them, whether they know it or all. Jesus is ruler over presidents and prime ministers, over statesmen and over party... He is ruler over Democrats, can I get an amen, and Republicans. But he is also ruler over Bill Gates and Donald Trump. He is ruler over ISIS today. He is ruler over Al-Qaeda today. He is even ruler over Oprah and Big Bird. Come on, somebody. Listen, Jesus is ruler over Harvard and Oxford and Texas A&M. He's even ruler's son over the Georgia Bulldogs. He is ruler over boss Bruce Springsteen. He is ruler over Steven Spielberg and Madonna. He is ruler over Madison Avenue and Wall Street, over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue where the White House sits, and Hollywood Boulevard. These people and powers may not realize it yet, but Jesus is the ruler. And one day he will come and one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord of Lords and ruler, hallelujah and king of all kings hallelujah Hallelujah, Jesus, yes he is they don't realize it but he certainly is ruler over every, but listen but here comes one of the most wonderful moments in scripture I want to end with right there After Jesus is declaring who he is and every day you must declare, Jesus, you are king over my life. Jesus, you are king over everything. You are ruler, Lord. And one day the world will recognize it. But in this moment where John is dropped dead, I mean, this is Jesus that he has leaned in. The Bible says at the last supper, John leaned in. He loved Jesus. John even called himself, he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Don't you love that? No one else called him that, but John called himself that. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. don't know about the rest of you guys, but he loves me. But he had just been close to Jesus. But when he sees the glorified Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth, with his hair white as wool, holding stars and standing in the middle of lampstands, he just falls at dead. It's too much. I tried to bring up an image of every artist that's ever painted that. And they were all just too out there. But imagine it in your mind right now. John is dropped dead out of fear. It's more than he can imagine. But what I love is all of a sudden that right hand, the Bible calls the right hand that right hand of authority, the right hand of power, Often the Old Testament, you'll hear him say, God, raised your right hand. God took his right hand and parted the Red Sea. It's a right hand for God is symbolic of his power. Everyone say his power and his authority. All of a sudden, the stars aren't in his hand. And the Bible says that that hand touched John on his shoulder. He's dropped down for dead. He can't even get up. I mean, he's so scared. He, he might not even be breathing for a few minutes. It's too much. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, John. Don't be afraid. John, don't be afraid. I'm the one you saw who died, but yet I live and I hold the keys to hell and of death in my hand. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys not only to hell, but to death. John, it's me. You've heard me. A couple of you give. This reminds me of Richard Moe as we get ready to close and pray for you. Who's a great theologian, but when he was five years old, he was in kindergarten class. And there he was, and it was Christmas time. And all of a sudden, and you'll see how this relates, a man came in dressed as Santa. And he sat up there, and he had white wool and a sash around his waist and big old black boots of coal. And his voice sounded like thunder, but he was saying, ho, 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 ho. And all the children were just shaking. Santa was in the midst of them, and they were sore afraid. And they're sitting there. No one will go up. The teacher is dismayed. She's brought this man here. And all of a sudden, little Richard. Santa says, come here, little boy. Come here, little boy. And Richard, reluctantly, as the teacher pushes him up to Santa, he's thinking, why me? You ever thought that? Why me? Why me? Santa reaches up and puts little Richard on his lap. And he's sitting there and he said, tell me what you want for Christmas, little boy. And he won't say anything. And then santa whispered in his ear hey rich rich it's me it's me it's mr cooper from church it's your friend you know me you love me and i love you it's okay don't be afraid And then little Rich, calm down. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Maybe who Jesus is in all of his glory and his holiness. As you're trying to walk out, your heavenly vision on this earth terrifies you at time and makes you want to run and hide. But don't you forget for a moment what Jesus said to John. John, I'm glorified. Yes, I'm holding the stars in my hand. And yes, I'm walking upon clouds and thunder. But I am he who as your best friend went to Calvary and gave my life for you. I am he who was dead. Don't be afraid. The son of man, the ancient of days, the alpha and the omega, the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's me. It's Jesus. And by the way, I'm holding the keys of hell and death. Somebody give Jesus a praise. I'm done preaching. Come on, somebody stand up and give Jesus a praise this morning. Come on, just stand up and put your hands together and give him the best praise you've given him as the worship team comes up. Come on, give him the best praise you've given him. We bless your name, Jesus. What about God's heavenly vision for you this morning? Run your race. Run your race. Where has God placed you? He's placed you somewhere he can't place me. Run your race. Be a servant. Discover the treasure that's inside of you and love deeply as a servant. Knowing that heaven is keeping the tally. Don't you worry if men's not keeping the tally. You're serving Jesus. You are the most powerful person in the room. When you say today, God, whatever is your vision for my life, I will not be disobedient. Regardless of what it looks like. My daddy, as he preached to thousands, never imagined that his 100% of his life would be caring for my precious Alzheimer mother. But he's doing it unto Jesus in every season, wherever you are right now. Serve the Lord where you work. Serve it unto him. Don't rely on your boss. Don't rely on your co-worker. Rely on Jesus. Every hand lifted to heaven. Eyes closed if you would. Lord Jesus, we just lift up these holy hands to you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, we might be standing here, and maybe some of us don't want to forgive. We want to cut that out of Scripture. We want to cut a hole in the Word of God. Maybe some of us, Lord, don't want to love people around us. We want to cut that Scripture out and put a hole smack in the middle of the Scripture. Maybe some of us, God, we're tired of serving. We've been grumbling and complaining, and we know we have, Jesus. It is hard, Lord, sometimes to remember when we're overtired that whatever we're doing as a mama, as a daddy, as a worker, as a boss, as an employee, it's to be unto you. Lord, as we lift our hands, sometimes we get our eyes on each other's race, and we want to get in everybody else's lane. What they're doing looks so much better because they've got the grace for it. But, God, you've given us grace for the race. Lord God, help us to be reminded there is a heavenly vision for every one of us in this room. And seasons of our life to take hold of what you took hold of us for is going to look different. If we continue to look backwards, we're going to lose it. But we got to look to the moment. Where have you called us to today, God? If it's to the nursing home instead of the pulpit. If it's to clean a commode at Hope House, if it's to take care of children, if it's to work in a corporation, you have plucked us out of eternity to use us in that area and for your glory. Jesus, when we become overwhelmed, let us remember the most powerful person in the room is the person that knows who Jesus is in them and does not let their circumstance dictate. So God, Paul didn't let his chains make him feel inadequate. He stood boldly before the governors of the earth because he was the freest and the most powerful